right about now, streaming directly into your brain at over 1 million IOPS. It's the Data Center Insiders Podcast with Simon Seagrave, bringing you the latest in IT transformation from the data center to the cloud. Hi, everyone. Uh, well, we've got the latest um, Data Center Insiders podcast here. I'm joined by my good friend, as always, uh, Chad Sakach, all the way from Canada. How you doing, Chad? Simon, it's good to talk to you again, man. Great. It's one of those rare times you're actually at home. You're not uh, you're not jet-setting around the world somewhere uh, doing 26-hour yes. uh, days. As you saw, this is my elaborate from-home telepresence-slash-podcast location. I'll tell you what, Cisco's got nothing <laughs> on you. <laughs> Hey, well, at least yours is tidier than mine. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, and that's what it looks like. You should see what's behind that screen. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get myself one of those. Oh, brilliant, Chad. Hey, well, so good to see you anyway, Chad. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it'd be great if we could catch up. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Obviously, a lot's happening in the industry. There's a lot of changes, a lot of new trends coming through. There's a lot of same old trends that have changed directions. So I thought it was brilliant. You know, let's catch up. And, um, you know, I'd love to get your take on, you know, what you're hearing out there, what your thoughts are, because obviously, you're, you're in touch with a lot of you know a lot of clients a lot of customers every day so I mean to get that perspective from from the front line from the field uh, yeah. and, you know and uh, have, have your take on it all would be fantastic so maybe we could kick off and uh, you know t tell me what what are you seeing out there at the moment Chad? You, you bet dude so I would say three macro uh, things that I see in all three so I, I think in I, I think in segments and in theaters and that's not a normal human way to think, but it's a reflection of my job, right? So, yeah. you know, EMC, uh, VMware, and Pivotal divide the world up into three theaters. So Europe, uh, Middle East, and Africa. Again, there's nothing that links those those places together except for the fact that it's a slice of the world. Yes. And the APJ slice of the world, again, wildly different people, cultures, behaviors, uh, Australia and New Zealand are as different from Southeast Asia as they are from Chicago. Yeah. Right. Um, so, but you know, EMEA, APJ, and then the Americas, and then the other slice is by segments and verticals. Right. So, big customers, small customers, telcos, you know, healthcare, blah blah blah. But the reality of it is, is that these three things uh, transit all three theaters, all segments. Um, and all verticals. They are the following. Number one, I need to save money fast and now. So every customer is under, their, their whole IT organization is under cost pressure, which is um, unlike, I think, what people have ever seen before. Mm, so that whole, that uh, whole thing around sort of doing more, more than less, that whole theme that's been there for at least the last yep. decade uh, is still there then. Yeah. And, and so number one, do more with less, but, but way more with a lot less. Right. Um, number two, the emergence of new application architectures and what that does to the whole stack underneath that. People, people sometimes forget that the infrastructure is there purely to service the application. And therefore, if the application needs different things, the infrastructure better deliver different things. Otherwise, uh, it's, it's not fit for purpose, yes. right? Uh, infrastructure's sole purpose is to support the app, not the other way around. And so new app architectures are changing the world in terms of how do you abstract containerization versus kernel mode virtualization. How do you build infrastructure and what infrastructure services are needed on or off-prem, et cetera, et cetera. So number one, once again, was 
do more with less, but a lot more with a lot less. <laughs> Number two was new application architectures emerging and leaving the world of weird new SaaS companies and entering the world of mainstream enterprises. And then the third mega trend is the utilitization of IT, which is a combination of public cloud, managed services, SaaS offerings. Um, and in each one of those, there's a few things that just are like the punch you right in the face examples. The punch you right in the face example on the first one is the emergence of all of the startups that are causing giants insane pain, hmm. right? Yep. Um, including EMC and, and VMware, um, you're seeing new startups try to tackle traditional workloads with a new spin or a new tweak, whether it's all flash array startups, whether it's the um, commodity uh, switching fabric players that are poking at Cisco, um, whether it's the everyone attacking NetApp's small base. You know, a lot of the difficulty NetApp has seen over the last six months, although they haven't said so on the analyst calls, if you ask me, is that like every startup from Nimble to Tintree to Pure to whatever, the, the, the easy spot to attack is, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of FAS 2000 style customers out there, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, all of those are basically a reflection of if there's something you can do that will save people lots of money quickly, for their traditional apps, in other words, the, the classic app world, um, there's a lot of opportunity. And while none of those startups are, are have gotten huge or to the full-blown uh, breakout um, value, in aggregate, there's way more of them than there used to be. And uh, if vendors, the big vendors, don't aggressively cannibalize themselves, eating their own babies, in effect, yeah. Right, that's a terrible metaphor, but it's yeah, apt. It yeah. gives you the the intensity that's there. Yes, um, they're they're at big risk because the interesting thing is that all flash arrays are are disrupting the world of transactional storage within EMC. That creates huge, um, you know, huge efforts. So everything around Extreme IO, but then huge, you know, agita of like where do you sell VMAXs and VNXs? And the answer is you don't sell them necessarily where they used to be valuable for customers, but now into the place where they have sustained value for customer, which is different. Like VMAX is then you sell when a customer needs mainframe, I-series, and SRDF. If they don't need those things, historically they might have bought a VMAX. Today we would say put it on Extreme I.O. And you can imagine inside organizations, all that stuff creates so much angst. Heck, even within the customer base, Sometimes we go to the customers and we're like, really, we think that this new thing is better. They're like, no, I want to stay with what I yes. like. Right? Yeah, I mean, what, what are you hearing out there, Chad? I mean, obviously, you know, you're... you're your perimeter is, is global, right? So obviously, yep. like you say, you've got the three different theaters there. I mean, are you seeing much difference between the three different theaters? Or is it, is it like you say, there's these three common themes there. Um, so yeah. IT, are, are they are they prepared to take the risks, you know, to look for different things, to, to innovate, to do more with less? Are they looking for new ways of doing that? Or are they are they still sort of, a lot of companies out there, for a bad analogy, are they still sort of, have got the comfy slippers on a little bit and they don't want to try anything new? So where, where are they at in that process at the moment? Are they ready to sort of 
are they, are they starting to look at some so, of these new innovative uh, ways of doing things? So, um, great question. Uh, the pressures are universal. So the pattern of that pressure exists in all three theaters, all segments, all, all, all it's the same everywhere. What varies is cultures. Um, so, um, for example, the Canadian culture is much more conservative and less risk tolerant than in other parts of the world. Um, I can say this because you're not actually a Brit. You're originally, you know, I'm a British disguise, right? You're, <laughs> but I think it's a, I think it's a bit of a British uh, thing. Although, you know, technically, New Zealand was part of the Commonwealth, right? Yeah, well, one of the colonies it still, <laughs> still is. <laughs> uh, but, but likewise, you know, as you travel around the world, um, you, you see people still clinging on or trying to pretend like the, the, the pressures don't exist mm. um, in conservative cultures. But that's just a matter of time. And then you find other places where they're doing it more quickly. But notice that the only thing that's different is like the speed governor, like, is it, is it on, on full speed or is it on slow? It's not like one is going down one path and one's going down another. Yeah. It's the same uh, macro trend. So virtualization has still got a huge amount of, uh, you know, benefit and upside. And VMware continues to be the center uh, of that uh, translation for how do you do your existing workloads with less. All flash arrays is a big part of how do you do more with less for your existing workloads. Converged and hyper-converged infrastructures and the massive battles going on in the industry there are all reflections of that first big trend. So other the other large players, the likes of EMC, you know, the Cisco's of the world and, uh, you know, and, and you know, EMC's competitors out there. I mean, how, how, how are they, how are we tackling tackling that at the moment? Because like you say, I mean, what we don't have, I guess, compared to a small startup is, is agility in some respects. It takes takes longer to move the boat round, as it were. And um, I mean, how are we sort of uh, adapting to that? So um, I think I, 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 it would be bad for me to speak too much about others because no matter what I say, no matter how honest I am or how much I try to take my EMC hat off um, you know your viewers will will assume and to some degree correctly that I've got a natural bias right um, so I'll just speak to ourselves a little bit and then people can go make their own assessment about how others are doing it right number one you have to uh, to some degree uh, you have to be very aggressive from an inorganic innovation standpoint. Inorganic innovation is a euphemism for acquisitions, venture funding, et cetera, et cetera. There, you know, one thing that John Chambers said, so here I'm not speculating, I'm, I'm quoting, I'm quoting <laughs> was, was he went that basically we're on the early days of an era of massive uh, industry consolidation. And mm -hmm. I think he's right. Um, so one thing that the big guys have is they, they have large cash um, hordes, war chests, that can be applied for all forms of inorganic uh, innovation. And so I suspect that there's going to be a, a pretty material wave of acquisitions that will occur, one, to buttress companies' revenues, but also to actually give them more innovative IP. The second thing that I think that companies have to do is they have to be really smart about valuing, treasuring, and rewarding the people 
who are doing the critical work to keep the lights on. Um, this is, and but to some degree, you have to partition them because the mission of sustaining a mature product or technology is very different than the mission of creating something that is new. By definition, the former is big, but lower growth. By definition, the, the, the latter is small, but high growth. Yep. Which one of those two is more important? It's a stupid question. They're both important. So then you need to create organizational models that allow you to be able to simultaneously have people going, yes, we are making the next incremental release of blank, right? Yep. Without their natural tendency to eat up um, small groups that are adjacent to them. To put it at a non-EMC uh, analogy, um, imagine the work that's going in in VMware right now to build vSphere 6.x and vSphere.next 7. whatever, right? Yeah. That work path relative to the work that Kit Colbert needs to do on the cloud native apps work within VMware. Yeah, yeah. And can you imagine what does that mean if there one sits organizationally within another? The natural tendency of the big to just crush the small is yeah, human is nature. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 what should you see everyone doing? I mean, using their war chests, using it for inorganic innovation and reorganizing themselves to disrupt themselves by by separating the high growth but small versus the mature but steady. So if you if you're if you're Cisco and uh you really want to embrace SDN. Can you do that if the same group that's doing SDN is within the same organization which is responsible for the Nexus product line? I don't know. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of questions out there. In, in, in the, I mean, these are a lot of questions happening at board level for, for a lot of these companies at the moment. And The, te uh, the, the temptation to, is always to say yes. So big companies always think, well, we'll get leverage. We'll get leverage by attaching the disruptive thing to the cash cow big thing. Mm. It often doesn't work that way. Yeah, we're in an interesting space at the moment, aren't we? I just think about what you're saying there, Chad, because, I mean, career-wise, I mean, we're, you know, we've been doing this, what, 20 years or give or take. Yeah. Um, and for the first time in my career, I feel that the industry... It, it's not clear cut where we're heading exactly or how long it's going to take to get there. We're, we're, we're sort of in this sort of, I don't know, funny transition period. A sure virtualization, okay, that was a paradigm shift, everything. Yeah. But that was a known quantity. It didn't have the same upheaval as we're in at the moment. And that was, that, that seemed to have clear, clear boundaries. And then sort of cloud came along on the back of that. Once again, we're sort of, yeah, cloud's there, it's widely adopted, perhaps not quite where everyone thought it was going to be at this stage of the game, but th th there's all these new new things coming in at the same time. And, uh, and the, other th the other thing is, I don't know whether you're seeing as well, I mean, I think the consumer, so this is tangent off a little bit, but I think, I wouldn't say it's totally consumer-driven, but I think a lot of the stuff that we're doing as an enterprise or, you know, enterprise level within IT seems to be driven by a lot around retail and consumer the, sort of uh, sentiment and, and technologies as well. The, the, the two biggest things amongst the senior staff at the customers I meet is they talk about the digitization of their enterprise. Yep. That means something different to everybody else and basically the end consumer and the, how they make themselves 
closer to the end consumer, which is linked to the digitization agenda, right? Mm. Now, that then ties into the second big pile of stuff that I was, you know, saying, you know, I, I see all the time. Um, one being, you know, you know, again, this do more with less that we've kind of talked about a bit. The second one is around how new apps are developed. And this is the world that is so fast and so confusing and so foreign to people who have built their careers around infrastructure yeah. that it's like an alien language. So, you know, and people are trying to learn the alien language as fast as they can. It's open source. It's dominated by Linux, not Windows. It's dominated by uh, the world of containers as opposed to the traditional physical or kernel mode virtualization as the base abstraction level. Yeah. Again, I think people have got it wrong because they've painted that as they're in opposition, containers versus kernel mode virtualization. Mm-hmm. It's a, In general, it's containers on top of some form of kernel mode virtualization, but they are right in that if you are using containers on top of kernel mode virtualization, the value in the kernel mode virtualization layer is lessened. Yes. And yeah. it's lessened materially, right? So the question is, you know, if, if you're running an application that's designed to scale out horizontally and have no infrastructure dependencies, how much is this base strata below the first abstraction strata worth? Mm. And the answer is it's worth less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does right? it almost just become... Yeah, a, a consumable at some point. It depends where that value ends up sitting. Obviously, there's always going to be value at that lower level, but like you say, it's, it's almost shifting up the stack, isn't it? It's, uh, right. And, yeah. and so, so the the you know people have debates and go, oh, you know, you know, there's the kernel mode virtualization doesn't have the same rich, robust VMHA model or a DRS model for a resource allocation. And the answer is, yep, you're right. If you just pick KVM or Zen. It's pretty limited in those functions and basic things that in VMware land would be considered primitive mm. don't either don't exist or or are so primitive that they're really basic and people would just barf on them, right? But the reality of it is, is if the, you're using that in a layer where there's container management above, you don't do VM level restart, you do container restart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The resilience is built into the application. It's built into the application. Yeah. Yeah. Resource management doesn't happen at the DRS layer down here. Mm. It happens with a resource manager, whether it's in the PaaS layer with like like you know the work in Cloud Foundry or or whether it's Kubernetes or Mesosphere, other cluster managers. They have resource management up here, right? And so people who are in the world of infrastructure that are really used to a build infrastructure that performs and it scales and it's linear are like, hey, what's my role in this new world? Yeah. And the answer is, it's not about making the infrastructure ridiculously available. It's about actually making it very simple, very cookie cutter, very repeatable, uh, very scalable in how you manage and manage the, the, the infrastructure at very large scale. But it's not about resilience or failure tolerance or those sorts of things. Mm. And, and that, that's going to play out. But now here's another interesting thing. If I think about those three theaters with the different verticals, this is a space where this is the front and center thing on every senior IT leader's mind and business leader's mind, which is digitization of the enterprise, 
building new applications and building new analytics engines off of which those applications can iterate and build value, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you ask them, what percentage of your existing applications look like that? It's like uh, 3%, 2%, <laughs> 0%, yes. right? Uh, how much of your existing data sets look none? Well, that so, was a question I was going to have for you, actually, was, you know, obviously there's that whole, uh, you know, well, depends depends on what company or who you speak to. You know, we've got different names for it. Uh, EMC, we call it Platform 3. Um, but, you know, those Platform Next Gen apps there, what, what are you seeing out there? I mean, how many companies are really embracing that? Because everybody is embracing that, but everyone needs to understand what does that mean? Yeah. Embracing it means someone in the company is trying to build some new app using these Platform 3 you know, modern cloud-native app, scale-out app techniques, 12-factor app. Yeah. Those are all different words for the same kind of idea, right? But just to be clear, the only ones that can say, you know, no, that is our entire business are basically SaaS startups, yeah. not even SaaS big companies. Like the, the big SaaS companies that have been around for the last five, six years, they actually have a pretty legacy app with a SaaS web front end. Yeah. Right? The only ones who can go, no, we've built a whole thing on a Platform 3, 12-factor app architecture are net new startups. Yeah, yeah. And once again, they're the ones with the agility, and they, they, they're trying to do more with even less than the, 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 the more mature established companies, aren't they? Just, 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 just the thing that's important to understand is the agility comes from the fact that they don't have an install base. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to mangle the quote, but basically there's a there's a famous IT quote that basically says, you know, it's amazing that God created seven the world in seven days. And it's like, ah, oh, it's actually not that hard. He had no install base, <laughs> right? You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so the hardest thing is to create innovation within the fact that you do have 95 percent of your apps that power your enterprise are classic. Yep. Yep. And, and can't just be rebuilt or tweaked. And it's going to be a good few years, I'd imagine, before they, they go away. It's not going to be an overnight thing. That's why it's interesting to see whether there was, and I mean, you know, once again, are you seeing any particular theatre perhaps being a little bit more more bullish, I guess, as it were, towards, you know, creating sort of it, next, next gen apps? Uh, the, the answer is people in, um, in finance, telco, retail, uh, healthcare, all have got roughly the same uh, desire. The correlation with actual speed and outcome is associated with do you have a legacy? If you don't, ergo you're small and new, mm. you move quickly. Um, the other ones have to navigate this balance of how do, we, how do we keep the lights on, how do we do more with less there, and how do we reinvest the, that money into into new f source of innovation here, and it, it's it, you can feel it. Like when you go when you go to like a DockerCon, the vibe is high energy, and it's what I would associate with VM worlds of years past. Yeah, and yeah. I don't mean like two years past. I mean you know the Ten. ones where you and I met for the first time. Yeah, you yeah know, many, many many moons many ago. moons ago, right? Yeah. But at the same time, when you go to VM world today, people are talking about basically running their entire business on VMware. Mm. Yeah, and it always has it has a totally different feel. That's, that's totally right, Chad. I mean, did did you make it to DockerCon yourself? I think it... I, I was not physically present at DockerCon, yeah. but I was. Uh, uh, I had a whole slew of commitments, unfortunately, that kept me from there. Yeah. But I was there by proxy, so we had lots and lots of people there from EMC. Yeah. Uh, it was a big. It was a really big event for us, um, which is 
cool. I mean, uh, again, it was it was interesting how EMC in the early days of virtualization actually was a bit of a laggard. You know, VMware was kind of clearly out there in front in spite of the, 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 the special dynamic that exists between EMC and VMware. And we needed you and I and others to kind of push us in there to... to to, 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 to take a kind of leadership position. Yeah. I was yeah. very happy that this time we're not going to wait until we fall behind. It was interesting. I think we were one of the only big players at DockerCon that actually was doing major code commits mm. to Docker itself uh, along with others. Like, again, I'm not trying to say it was just us, Intel and, and others, yeah. but uh, lots of contributions around Flocker and volume management around persistence. Yeah. Shipping products that use Docker, namely ECS, it was uh, it was good. Uh, it was good that EMC showed up with bells on. Yeah, yeah, I was the same. I was following it sort of by proxy through a lot of people. Um, it was good to see sort of Brian Gracely's sort of uh, code team there. I mean, those guys, I, I think they've really embraced what it is to play in that space. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's all good for a big company like us. You know, like EMC to sort of be in there, and uh, you know, you've got got everyone's eyes upon you. But I think we're playing playing well in that space. I think those guys have definitely got the. Uh, Got the right idea, you know. It's, it's, it's they, they community do. spirit behind it, and uh, it's about they've giving, done, not taking. You know, it's, they've done great things. Um, and Brian, uh, for what it's worth, uh, has done that in swimming uphill against the current that exists in any big company. Anytime you do something new, you have to break a lot of glass. Yeah, uh, and that it's not just Brian; the whole team, the EMC code team. Mm. With the, the glass that they broke, which is now, you know, once you've broken it, you can't put it back together um, was basically that this whole world is going to be dominated by open source and uh, I'm glad to see us as a company saying that for that world our whole modus operandi has to be open source Um, and uh, you know open sourcing our core products is a part of that but uh, Brian and the EMC code team you know and again just to be clear it's a a whole group of people oh yeah 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 um, some talent in there they they uh, they've achieved a lot in a small amount of time, but they're only getting started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good as well. I, you know, I was pleased to see EMC sort of get in sooner rather than later. You know, rather than it be a sort of a, a last minute me too afterthought when the thing really starts to get uh, momentum behind it. So it's uh, you know gives it's very good for us as a company as well. But notice that that comes back to one of the things you said earlier. How are people navigating this period of change? Compartmentalizing, kind of recognizing. We had put the EMC code team with the, yep, everything you got to do has got to be published and open source on a GitHub repo and blah, 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 mm. and put that like inside the cash cow parts of the machine, it would not work. No. Um, I, and, I and, you know, and I think that that's something people are going to have to challenge themselves with, recognizing that both sides of that equation are both cool. Very much so. Yeah. So, so a question I've got for you, Chad. I mean, this is this is talking about the second topic still. I mean, so, you know, assume we get in the time machine. We, we go back 20 or so years. You're at the start of your career. I'm at the start of mine. Would you do things differently? I've always been, I've come through, I started off as, as a developer for the first year and a half. Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy the isolation of it. So I jumped across to infrastructure and based the rest of my career on infrastructure uh, until I got into tech marketing a couple of years ago. But I mean, would you do anything different now? I mean, I... You, I think you, I, I definitely would. Um, you know, you know the answer based on what you said there. What would you do differently? Yeah. Hang on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like write my answer on a piece of paper and then I'll show it to you afterwards. Hang on, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hang on. 
Just because I bet you that your answer and my answer are going to be roughly okay. the same. Gonna, I, I, I've got a pen and paper. It's one of the rare times I can actually find a pen. Uh, oh. Actually, I, there's two things. If I was doing it again, there are two things I would do if I was entering. Not saying I'd want to change doing what I'm doing because I love doing what I'm doing. I'm very happy with where I'm at. But yeah. if, if, I, if, if I was a, a newbie starting out, um, can I have two? Yes. <laughs> it's like I'm writing right. a book. I hope the spelling's correct. Excuse the handwriting. Okay. I'll show you mine first. All righty. So mine would be, oh, is this? It's going to come through inverted. <laughs> oh no 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 no! It's the right round. Right round. It says, "Stay closer to the app layer." Yep. yep. So we may use different words. I'll, I'll show you mine. So mine is. Yeah, developer and big data scientist. So Simon, that that's why that's why I say be closer to the developer. What why do you put developer and and. Uh, Big data on your on your piece of paper. Well, t two reasons. I mean, I'm I'm an infrastructure guy from way back. I love my hardware, but like we both do, right? That's why we run our own labs because it still keeps our hand and it gives us that yeah. little that little hardware fix, isn't it? And uh, it's the only way of getting it these days. Um, but if I was doing it again, starting from where things are now, I would definitely be a, a developer. Um, a couple of reasons. Um, I think uh, the reason I steered away from it originally was I didn't like the isolation of it. Now, I've got a little bit older now, and with yeah. being a developer, you get flexibility around where you can work and and what have you. And um, Well, it's it, also become a lot more social by its very nature. Very much so. You're not, you know, you, you, you're not sort of five guys or, or five guys and girls sort of crammed into a dark room and... Uh, you know, it's not obligatory to wear Star Trek T-shirts and have a ponytail anymore. You know, it's 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 almost cool. You know, it's got that uh, the coolness of being yeah. a developer again. But um, no, I like the mental challenge of it, and it's a, it's a space that's changing a lot. And I think the infrastructure will continue to change. Uh, definitely, but I think the opportunity to have access to that backend infrastructure is going to become less. It's going to be more of the big, larger players. I mean, there's always going to be a small data center or a small sure. server room in most companies, but there's going to be less opportunity in the in the infrastructure space. So the developer, it would be the mental challenge of it. And like you say, rightly so, going forward, the closer you are to the app player, it, it ain't going away anytime soon. And I think, um, you know, uh, based on that, that would be a good space to be in. And big data scientists, like you say, the other thing is, well, without sort of information and data, these applications, depending on what you're using them for, in you know most instances, need data to yeah. to either collect or, or run. So I, I think that the thing that you and I should take, and maybe viewers should take, is you don't have to build a time machine to fix this. Yeah. Right. So uh, uh, I'm I'm constantly reminding myself that uh, uh, there's a lot of resources online for people who want to start to learn to code. CodeAcademy. I think it's .com or .org. Yeah. Uh, Code. Here, let me. I got it here. Academy. Yeah, it's a site I've always meant to uh, go and have a look at a little bit closer. Yeah, it's CodeAcademy. Um, I've got an account, um, and uh, I I've used it to just start to bone up on on a little bit of Ruby and Python. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've done the same with Python about a couple of months ago. I started. I know enough to be dangerous now, but well, you know, and, and I just I think it's fun. We all have to remember the 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 origin joy of learning, like yeah. just yeah, just there's nothing stopping any of us at any point in our career from learning something new and cool, 
And, uh, and I think that that actually comes and segues to the third big thing. So remember, number one was do more with less, hence startups, hence all flash, hence converged, hence virtualization. Number two was digitization of the enterprise, which is all of this stuff that we're talking about, platform three, workloads, open source, containers, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, and this, this observation for you and I about, you know, hey, maybe we should bone up on our coding, which is, you <laughs> yes. know, useful for everybody to see. But the, the third bad. one is the utilitization of IT. And it's, they're all related, right? So um, the vast, pub, like you talked about your home lab, and you and I both had and still have popular blog posts about our home labs that we update how about you mine's like once a year yeah 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 it's got yeah (laughs) it's not not often enough shall we say yeah so but but to be honest with you my home lab peaked in terms of its scale power consumption Mm. you know terabytes under management (laughs) yes um a few years back where i had like 13 you know vSphere hosts and almost 300 terabytes of storage arrays and uh, a big power bill. I tell you what, yeah, your power provider will be missing you now. <laughs> but but it's declined now. It's now basically a small three vSphere host cluster that I use just to mostly actually, to be honest, to have fun and get my hardware fix. Mm. There isn't a single thing that I can't do for a fraction of the cost at low scale yeah. um, on AWS or vCloud Air <coughs> or whatever. Yeah. Now, I think the thing that really bugs me about our industry are our press and analysts. And the reason it bugs me isn't because they're not, you know, good people or, or anything like that, but they're so prone to hyperbole. They're so prone to cast anything as a this will kill that or this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Kernel mode VMs or containers nas or block you remember the massive nas or block oh, yes. yes debates from like years ago now yeah eight eight nine years ago right yeah. they were so stupid and what a waste of people's time and the the current version of that is public versus private you know cloud models blah blah where you find people who will like fight to the death about one or the other and it's all just so stupid mm-hmm. uh you know the reality of it is is that Everyone's going to need a cloud. Everyone will need a cloud model that will have some mix of public and some mix of private. Yeah. The public will come in all forms, SaaS, infrastructure as a service, and PaaS. So in other words, it's not all going to be one flavor, and it's not all going to be one, uh, one cloud model. Um, but the real question is for any given workload, do I want it on-prem or off-prem? Do I want to run it or do I want someone else to run it for me? <laughs> and do I want it as a predominantly CapEx business model or primarily as an OpEx business model? Yeah. And those three decision vectors are, are driven by all sorts of things. Like uh, in some industries, it has to do not with security because the security of public clouds are pretty good, yeah. um, but rather <laughs> governance. Um, you know, there's governance and compliance rules for industries that sometimes lag uh, technology. Yes. Um, the other one is sometimes data gravity. In other words, sometimes the data set that you need 
is just physically too large to move. So if it was born in the public cloud, yeah. you might as well do compute in the public cloud. Yeah. yeah. If it was if the data set was born inside the enterprise, maybe your compute needs to be on your private cloud. Yeah. And then the CapEx versus OpEx thing, I I've been trying to explain this and I, I need to find a way to communicate this more clearly. But it's a function of is your workload highly variable or unknown? Question mark. Mm -hmm. If so, cap uh, opex. If your workload is steady state and known, then you favor capex. Yeah, it's it's really simple. Yeah, yeah. But but if you look at the world of IT today, it's almost all capex, bought and acquired on a three to five year depreciation cycle, mm. and the utilitization of IT is going to change is is going to change the world i think more than just public cloud public cloud is one manifestation yes um yeah i i totally agree with you chad i mean yeah i find it frustrating when i read some sort of um articles and what have you and like you say it's that if if for all you know it's it's one or the other that black and white thing i mean for example not a very good uh, analogy here but you know it's like most things we consume these days whether it be how we like to watch our our, our movies our mm -hmm. television well you know these same people are probably saying well it's the death, death of the television everyone's going to start watching things on their iPhones their smart devices and their laptops well it's not the case you know if anything it's added more more value to the content yeah. creation process and people it's it's enabled them to consume it um, you know, have more choices, be more flexible in how, how they consume their... Uh... If, if they just change their word a little bit to go, it will disrupt television. That I go, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the ecosystem of, of how people produce content, distribute content, and then consume content will be inherently disrupted. Yeah. Will it kill television? No. Television will actually mutate into some different value chain. Like, so for example... I think it's inevitable that with these new forms of media, um, it's easier to break apart the monopoly of, in the UK, the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. Um, or in the US or, or in Canada, NBC and, and uh, you know, CBC, the big, the big, you know, broadcasters. And the reason why is that historically broadcasting itself required a huge outlay of dough mm. and therefore the content producers would pair up with the broadcasters now that's still somewhat true mm. but now there's other vehicles and therefore you have fragmentation uh, of, of content contribution distribution and consumption and TV's needing to adapt to that yeah but it, again people in the press and in the analyst community they love hyperbole of you know this or that Yep. Um, it's their nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, hopefully, hopefully that changed in time. <laughs> like, for example, in the in the new gizmo disruptive category, I've got my new Apple Watch. Yeah, I, uh, do you know what I was? I was looking at that there. Yeah, yeah, very nice. You managed to get one of the black ones. Uh, I, I I did, um, and uh, I got to say, so far I'm happy. But I got to tell you, anyone who says this is going to disrupt the watch industry does not understand why many human beings buy watches mm. you know what i mean like this works for me because i'm mostly nerd yeah <laughs> right um but there's a ton of people that i know and respect who are also nerds but also would say the idea that i'm going to wear one watch item with all of my clothing is patently ridiculous <laughs> yep yep right 
Um, yeah, so I've swayed from one way. I mean, I was I was up at seven o'clock in the morning trying to get one on launch day, but uh, it's funny. I'm glad I didn't now actually because I've got I've, I've gone off them now actually a little bit. I'll probably wait for the Gen twos to come through and. Um, and what have you but uh, i mean they're a great looking watch i mean at cmc world a couple of uh a couple of the guys there had them and uh they're a good looking bit of kit i must say they look uh, better yeah. in the flesh than they did on uh, online it's so it's definitely a gen one device in my opinion so my own early review this is i got the the sport edition you know the cheapest one because i wanted to just see how it goes before i before i dump a pile of dough into it but um like all things Apple, you know, the ecosystem is tight, the yeah. pairing works, everything just works naturally, but the number of things that you can do is still relatively limited, so, you know, it's going to go through a couple iterations. Yeah. But what, yeah. what gizmos are you playing with? So these days, at the moment, I'm really into my sort of uh, content creation, so a lot of my money recently has gone on um, either camera gear or, um, or, or editing stuff. Um, it's funny, actually, I found myself, found myself moving away from Apple uh, a little bit. Um, mm. My laptop recently I had to replace, actually... So many people have seen this now. I've put it up on Twitter and everything. This is my MacBook Pro chat. So, I mean, I bought this the second day I started at EMC. Yeah. But uh, check that out. That's the, that's the battery that exploded. Whoa. Well, exploded in slow motion and took two weeks to, to do that. So I was in the market again for a, for a new laptop. So that's I had crazy. Yeah, I had to make the decision whether I go for Mac again or whether I, I go back to Windows. So I decided to make the jump back to Windows, although I really dislike windows 8 um or 8 1 the uh, so what did so what did you get uh went with an msi uh, a gaming laptop uh, unfortunately i haven't got it here but it's a nice Big little sort of tank no 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 you'd be amazed it's, it's sub one inch uh, in Ooh. size 15 inch it's got so, an nvidia uh, graphics card in it um so i play around with one of these um so this ah. is this is my my surface very nice so, i was looking at those yeah it's it's a nice machine. It's it's um, it'll be interesting to see. That's a Pro Three. It'll be interesting to see what Microsoft comes up with here at the end of July with the yes. Windows Ten launch. I'm I'm kind of expecting that there'll be a, a Surface Four and Surface Pro Four. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and like, and again, just for for viewers watching, like, uh, I am a senior executive at EMC. Um, I'm heavily invested in the company. I think the company's awesome. I live in a very small house, and we have one car, a Honda Odyssey from 2006, that we drive very proudly. The only, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, material extraneous spend would be like I could reach around here and basically grab like four or five different laptops. This is coming to you from my MacBook, brand new. You know, here's my uh, my MacBook. Uh, oh, Pro yes. 15 inch, you know the Surface. <laughs> minus, I got, minus exploded batteries. <laughs> there's 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 three computers underneath the desks here. So all of my spare, uh, you know, money basically goes to buy EMC shares, <laughs> and, and 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 this stuff. Yeah, do you know what, Chad? Exactly the same. I think I, I think that's almost like a, a litmus test, isn't it? You know, sort of. Uh, you know whether you're a true tech geek or not, but so, yeah, I'm exactly the same. You know, I'm always buying like as budget allows, little new tech things. Actually, I'll show you this. Check this out. Excuse the mess, but 34 inch curved widescreen. My, my last monitor nice died, day. and I had to make the decision: do I go go all out? Um, and I and I did. So I thought, 
you know, it might have lasted you, what, eight years, something like that. So totally. I use it every day. So I thought and, it was an investment. And these are your primary input device. Exactly. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> now, speaking of eyes, that's the other uh, a big toy for me. Um, like, literally, I, 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 could, I couldn't have scripted Ooh. this. Like, I'm not... I didn't have these toys just kicking around. Like, this is actually me in my office. So the Oculus, uh, this is a developer's kit too. Um, this thing is awesome. And I got to tell you, I am super, super pumped about the uh, the GA in Q1 of 2016. That's going to be... I'm jealous. <laughs> well, so, so you realize that anyone can get a dev kit. All right. So, so yes, I actually am trying to learn and develop. That's yeah. true. But anyone who can wants to can go and basically go and register and uh, and get a dev kit. Wow. Which they're they're like I think about three hundred, four hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, That's amazing because I mean, when, when was it? It was would have been what the early mid nineties. That's when sort of um, you know VR VR would made its last real sort of foray into the. Uh, mainstream IT and it failed miserably then so I'm hoping this will be it um, this this is this is I mean I actually did play with it back then compared this this is in a totally different league um, for 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 education for games you can you can actually oh, look again I don't want to be uh, one of those people I was ridiculing earlier prone to hyperbole it's not gonna kill anything yeah but what it will do is it will, again, create a, a wave of disruption where there will be this whole new way of experiencing things that will be there in addition to the ways that you experience them today. And will it disrupt some of them? For sure. I can easily imagine um, VR disrupting the movie industry. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, and there'd be the naysayers there as well, because I say I get rid of the whole sort of social aspect of going to the movies or sitting down with the family. But then again, from a movie, from an immersion point of view, I'd imagine it'd be phenomenal. Have, have you watched a movie on it yet, yet Chad? I, I have, and it is uh, so far that all of the apps that that are used to play movies, what they do is they actually um, put you in a virtual theater. Right. right. Okay. And then, and then there's a big virtual screen in front of you that plays the movie. Right. right? And that's kind of cool, but I don't think that that is the right use of the technology. So what's interesting is is that uh, since Oculus was acquired by Facebook, one of the things that they're going to be doing at the launch is they're actually they launched a movie studio that is focused just on VR movies, and and mm -hmm. I. I would expect that they would uh, have a whole bunch of launch content in Q1 focused on this thing, mm. to tr but to, but to create a whole new experience. Yes. Um, not not a not a VR version of going to a movie in a movie theater. Yeah. But instead, you are inside the movie. That's what you want. You want to almost be there, look around, and almost first person. You know. Um, yeah. So it'll it'll yeah. be a. There, by the way, it, it so it bolts directly into the Unreal Engine. So any Unreal Engine powered game, yes, uh, you could you could do in VR. And there's some there's some stuff that people have produced. Like there's this one demo which is basically a 3D render of being in a in a room which which is in some generic French place, and it, it's it's unbelievable. Like now it doesn't feel real yet because it's static. 
You know what I mean? Like there's nothing moving inside the, the, the room. Yes. But the detail and the degree of presence is really amazing. So you can just, I look at it and go, you know, it's always fun to be a technologist. Oh, yeah. Whether, you, whether you're in the infrastructure domain where you're, you know, excited about, you know, cloud, uh, uh, you know, management, orchestration, abstraction tools, yes. uh, disruption of all flash, all that stuff. Whether you're in this platform three world and you're all excited by DockerCon and containers, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> whether, you know, you're, you're focusing on a higher level of the business and you're thinking about that third big trend of utilitization of IT, okay, cool. Or if you're just a straight up nerd geek that loves toys, <laughs> What a all great time above, to be alive. Yeah. Or, yeah, all the above. <laughs> and do it for a living like us. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't be doing anything else. I've said that before, actually. I, if I, it's a bit sad. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I, I well, my, my wife might have something different to say, but I wouldn't actually do anything different. I mean, I, I love what I do. I'd probably travel to more conferences, uh, yeah. you know, but, but probably go to, you know, the, uh, the, the, the E3 or E4 conferences and... Yeah, but you'd go to more conferences on your private jet. Well, that's so, right. Yes, <laughs> I do it in style. And and you know you'd go no and you'd, visit, you'd, you'd do it. You know you'd visit. Uh, you know you'd visit uh, VMworld in Barcelona, but you'd sail in from your Greek chateau. You know, and then dock your boat and then drive inland towards Barcelona. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. We'll be limo driven in. <laughs> exactly. Now you're talking. There's different ways of doing the same thing, accomplishing. It's how you get there. It's whether you do it in style. Exactly. <laughs> oh, brilliant, Chad. Well, Chad, it's been, as always, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And um, no, thanks very much for your, for your insight into what's happening in the industry, what you're seeing out there. And uh, it's an exciting time, as always, to, to be doing what we're doing. And, totally. Uh, most totally. definitely. But uh, exciting appreciate your time. And Simon, don't don't thank me, man. Thank you for what you do every day. Much appreciated. Well, that's that's really kind of you, Chad. But thanks very much. I'll talk to you later.